0: Well, thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. As Ruth said, uh, nice to come from, travelled with a couple of uh, our interns, Josh and Maddie, so it's good to have them with us. And always great to hear when a church is dedicating time to, to pray and seek God, to fast, uh, on, on these sorts of issues. It's not common. Um, and so to come and, often when people think about diversity, they just think about race, you know, but it is, it's a much broader, bigger topic than that. And so it really is uh, great to come and speak on this. I'm going to be based in, uh, for at least a little part in Romans 1, so you can, you can open there, and I'll, re- I'll read that in a moment. Um, many people probably don't know, but the, the white working class in particular, and just working class people, are the most unreached people group in the nation. Uh, I've often said that even, and I say white working class because particularly where we are in London, those that are from um, maybe African or Caribbean backgrounds, even if they've left the church, sometimes they've got some church in their history. And they've got a praying grandma for him somewhere, you know, or an auntie who's praying, seeking the Lord from. they will come back. Uh, because it's in the culture. But in, in white working class culture, church isn't there. You know, it, often there's not a, a DNA. People's grandparents didn't go to church or parents. But the working class in general, the, the, the poor, what you could say, in general, uh, are very unreached in the nation. Someone famously once said that the, uh, the UK church is 36% male, uh, 64% female and 98% middle class um and, and i think there's some truth in that you know i, I really do uh, the working class often the only time they've maybe been to church is weddings and funerals you know, other than that I haven't particularly got any sort of reason to go to church or dna and as soon as you start talking about class it always becomes a bit of a question well what is and who are the working class you know what is middle class sometimes it can be quite tricky to put people in those sorts of boxes or define people in that way and in fact sometimes you want to be quite cautious about doing that you know what does it mean to be middle class is it just you know drinking flat whites and paying 10 pounds for avocado on sourdough toast or something you know i don't we don't really know anymore i think the old working class of kind of sort of you know sort of maybe laborers and builders of generations ago it's kind of dying out many people say that the working class of today are those would be those on zero hour contracts or, or immigrants coming in or people that have got no ability for social mobility or no ability to influence and have authority or power. But I don't know what image you conjure up in your own head when we begin to talk about working class or middle class or upper class. But uh, this is not going to be a lecture on those things. You'll probably be pleased to know I'm no expert on it. Don't claim to be. Um, some of the things we'll say today, a real disclaimer will be sweeping general statements. But the, the, the idea for me is... Uh, how do we, as a church, how do we, as churches in the nation, continue to reach those that you would call poor, on the edge, working class, disadvantaged, whatever phrase you kind of want to use? How do we continue to engage with those sorts of people, reach those sorts of people for the kingdom of God, which is an important topic to look at? Often people mistake. Fun enough, we was even chatting in the car on the way up uh, about how often it's associated with money when it comes to just working class, but it isn't just all about money. In fact, I've got friends from working class backgrounds that've probably got more money than some of you, but it it isn't all about, it's often it's about power and influence. Um, It's about values, it's about identity, about how people see themselves so I would be an example, I would have grown up, I would identify as working class, grew up in a working class family, but I'm a university educated, qualified teacher, now I'm a pastor, married to a woman who is a university educated um, Nigerian, we're married, we, got, we own our own house, we've got kids, I'm a pastor in a church, and from the world's lens I would very much be, people say, oh, he's a middle class guy, you know, but in my values and in my backgrounds and in, in the way I would see myself, and so you can see that it can be quite complex these sorts of issues, um, and, and to be honest, class is not even the best phrase to use in, in, in some ways. Uh, it can be unhelpful, but the bigger picture for me is more, how can we reach people uh, that are on the edge? How can we reach people that uh, are on the fringes? How can we reach people that historically the church has done a really bad job of reaching, if we're being really honest? You look around in most churches, not I'm saying I'm to go at your church, my, most churches in the, in the UK as a nation, how can we reach those people in a better way is what I want to spend some, some time endeavouring to look at today. Because my experience actually is that sometimes class can be just as, if not a bigger divider than race. And by that I'll say this, when I was at university I, um, I went out with, a, I'll probably say it maybe enough, a very posh girl. Right? She's really posh uh, from a very kind of rich background and I would go and spend time with her family and things like that. And, and, and I felt very out of place. Felt very, very. Uh, she was a white woman, but we were very different. And then years later, I. Uh, well, that obviously didn't work out, <laughs> obvious reasons. Um, years later, I then met my now wife, Sylvia, who's Nigerian. And I, I began to realise that our families, we actually had a lot more in common than, than my family and, and my ex girlfriend's kind of upper class family, because we were both raised in South East London. We had similar upbringings and values and similar uh, ways of just the kind of the way we we're raised, similar experiences, uh, the way that family life was done. In fact, some of the characteristics of, of, of what my family was a working class, quite loud and vibrant. If you know Nigerians, that works well. And so it was, it was kind of, that was the way that we, that we were. And I suddenly began to realise, oh, actually, I felt more out of place with this, this really upper class white family than I did with a, with a black Nigerian family. I felt like some of our values were more similar. And I began to realise, I know, class can be a bigger dividing factor sometimes than race. Not always, but it can be. Both can be dividing, don't get me wrong. And so, what we're going to look at today is, is how, can we, how can we change that? How can we work on that and look at that? And so there's three things we're going to look at today. One is the, the obligation that we have, and we're going to read Romans to do that. The obligation that we have, the obstacles that are in the way, and the strategy for us to do it. And so to begin with... Um, I want to read the very beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, Right at the very start of it, he shows that each of us has got an obligation to reach all sorts of different types of people. Uh, And so Paul says this, uh, starting from verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, By God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's just say a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the, the, the challenge of it. And tonight, as we just spend just a few minutes together looking at some of these challenges, i just pray you, we come by your Holy Spirit. We come soften our hearts. Uh, Lord, give us grace uh, to receive um, your word. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul begins, this, this verse 14, he says, I love the phrase, I am under obligation, some translations use the word, I'm a debtor, to both Greeks, he says, and barbarians, to both the wise and the unwise. Greeks and barbarians, that would have basically meant the whole world as far as from what Paul would have been thinking about. He's thinking here about, um, you know, that that Rome by this time had succumbed to Greek philosophy and ideas. You know, the kind of the Greek world had really infiltrated, Greek culture had really infiltrated. And so, uh, in many ways, uh, Rome had conquered Greece uh, sort of politically, but culturally, Greece had conquered Rome in kind of sort of philosophy and lofty ideas and the way they were going to think and engage. And so Jews, in a lot of ways, would have been considered barbarians. And Paul is saying here, in some ways, um, um, to, 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 sort of, to the barbarians, to the Greeks, to all people, to all nations, to all sorts of different backgrounds, uh, I am uh, obliged to, to, kind of, to try and engage and reach them all. But what I always love is that he doesn't stop there. Like This is not just a racial diversity thing. He then says, I'm called to the wise and the unwise. To the educated and the uneducated. To the intellect and the non-intellect. I'm called to them both. Why? Why does Paul feel like he's obliged to reach all sorts of people? He tells us in verse 16. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's what he says. Or he goes on later on in Romans 3. Why is he obliged? Because everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Rich or poor alike. Whatever class someone thinks they're in all have fallen short of the glory of God and all need saving by the same gospel. And so Paul is saying, I'm under obligation to try and reach these people because the gospel of Christ is for everyone, the rich and poor and everyone in between. However, whatever category you would put yourself in, the gospel is for all, whatever nation, whatever state, whatever background. And so God is, 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 as we know, I mean, even Paul, when you think about Paul himself, he was an intellectual. A very learned man. He was, he was smart. We know that about Paul. We, he talks about it himself. You know, but as usual, if it was, Paul could have easily just said, you know what? Maybe it's better for me to go after the wise. Why don't we get Peter? He was a fisherman, worked with his hands. We'll get him to go to the unwise. That makes more sense. You know, we're, let's play to strength. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, I'll go after the, the Jewish and the, and, 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 and the wise, the intellects, and, and we'll get some of the others, some of the rougher lads to go after, maybe. Uh, you know the sort of the the the, the 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 unwise, the ones that are on the edge. It doesn't work that way, because Paul realises that the authority that he has, you know, is um, of which to share the gospel doesn't come from who he is, but comes from actually the gospel itself. The authority that we have to share the gospel with different types of people doesn't come from our background or the accent that we have or the colour of our so It comes from actually the power in the gospel. That's where it comes from. You know that the thing that we must presuppose first of our community the thing that you must presuppose of your community here the thing you must assume about your community here regardless of their background the first thing is that they are people that are in need of Jesus that's the first thing not their class or their race or their status but that they are need their need for the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen that's the thing they need the most and I say that to encourage us because they should say the same thing when they should do youth work to youth workers, that sometimes you you'd easy get people, ah, oh, Joe, we haven't got a working class pastor on the team, or you know, uh, or you can reach and engage with them, or, or some of the work that maybe you might do in your church. Uh, sometimes churches will do that thing where they sort of, um, uh, you know, so if you do this here, yeah, I know what we can do, let's roll out the bloke who's got a bit of a testimony, maybe he's got a few tattoos, and we'll get him out, and we'll get him to share his testimony, you know, and that, that will work you know, he'll really engage with, you know, we kind of think that's, you know, that's often what we do, you know, let them speak for a few minutes, never let them hold the mic, or oh, they think you're going to steal it, I don't know, you know, it's kind of, well, hold it, hold it for them, my church is guilty of it, I'm not just, you know, I'm not, but, oh, you see it a lot in, in, in churches, I'm not just trying to be cynical, but, so, you know, God forbid we ever let them preach, by the way, we'll just wheel them out, let them share the testimony, you know, God forbid we ever put them in a position of leadership, you know, will you be led by the working class, love their story, often people have said we'd like to use them for their story they've got a brilliant testimony you know it'd be great to hear that but we don't oh know i wouldn't let them lead the ministry i'm in <laughs> it could be a challenge for us you know and, and it is you could say joe i'm not you know i'm not working class you say that when you're trying to recruit youth leaders oh i don't know if i can engage with the young people you think those arguments the more you think about them are just stupid and silly you know like, I've, I've never been to prison. Does that mean I can never engage anyone who's ever been to prison? I've never been, I've never been an alcoholic. Can I engage with someone who's ever struggled with alcoholism? I've never been a single mum, or a mum at all, for that matter. <laughs> well, I, can, I can't reach any mums now, can I? Well, am I only allowed to meet people exactly like me? We don't think like that in any other area. It'd be stupid. You say, oh, no, all right, we. No, of course not. Because the thing that, we, that gives us the authority to reach people is not who we are, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the message that we proclaim. Not the messenger, it's the message that we have. And so we must hold on to that. And, so I, I, and all of that is just to say, friends, don't disqualify yourself. Just whoever you are here today, whatever your, whatever your background is, whatever your age is, don't disqualify yourself from, trying, from being able to reach the working class people with the gospel. Don't disqualify yourself for trying to, you can't reach poor or marginalized or those on the edge for the gospel. The only thing you need to know, the only experience you need to know of them is that they yourselves, once we're sinners that are lost and need the grace of God in their lives, they are a sheep without a shepherd. That's all we need to know. Now, of course, the means and the method and the way we communicate the gospel and and all of those things need thought and and kind of, you know, you need to contextualize. I'm going to talk about that in, in the next few moments. But all of this is to say early doors is just don't count yourself out. You know, It's not only working class men and women who can reach working class men and women. Far from it. If we preach the gospel, if we share the gospel in its fullness and we apply it to the whole person, to the whole mind and to the heart, if you like. If we present the whole counsel of God to people relying on the power of the Holy Spirit then we can be certain that we can reach all sorts of people from every nation, every background, every tongue. That's the promise of scriptures. But if our preaching, or if our, our, our witness, or our outreach, or the ministries that we run, only appeal to a certain type of person, or a certain class, and then we're leaving something out. We're not appealing to all. That is where I say we've suddenly forgotten that obligation to reach. Or, or what else does Paul say Like when he, in his famous letter in Galatians? When he about his encounter, when he's meeting with Peter and the other apostles, and they charge him, he says, "The only thing I asked of them," he says, "The only thing they asked us is to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do." So again, you see this charge that you see from the apostles in the scriptures all the time. I've got an obligation to reach all, and when they meet with Paul, the only thing we ask of you, remember the poor. And Paul says, "That's the thing I, I, I was actually passionate about doing anyway. I, I didn't need convincing." No one didn't need to tell me twice. I'm like, yeah, I'm up for it. It's the very thing that I was eager to do. And so all of that is to say, uh, that's why I say you as a church, there is an obligation on churches in the nation to reach those that are are on the edge. But with all that being said, there are obstacles that I think are are in the way. We all have an obligation, but, but we, and I mean the wider UK church, has been famous for putting obstacles Sometimes in in the way of um, people from different backgrounds being able to access church and finding church a comfortable place to come into and be in a community we're in. So again, Paul later on in Romans 14 says this, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather let us decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. What a charge that is. Let us never be those who want to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of someone coming to meet Jesus, engage with church. And the truth is we have been guilty of that, you know, the, the, the church as a whole, uh, my church, yours as well. There have been too many stumbling blocks in, in the way of working class people. Systems, ways of doing church that is rejecting uh, and confusing working class people, I often call them extra biblical instructions. Sometimes middle class values that are dressed up as biblical ones. I heard someone say once that they don't like going to marriage courses or parenting courses because they're basically middle class instructions on how to be married and raise kids. Some of the courses they've been on, and some of the systems and things that we do. And um, sometimes I've, I've heard it a lot, even in our church, someone from a, maybe a working class background might come and then when they leave the church, you often get comments, ah, oh, they're uncommitted, never really saved. They're a flaky person, anyway. Sometimes that may be true, but I don't doubt that. There's often times where actually they've just they've been made to feel like this is not an environment or a culture or a family that I can really be a part of because there's no one like me here, and there's actually uh, I'm not accepted here the way that I am, and and there's lots of things that can I speak to a lot of people from working class backgrounds in different churches, and and if you ask the majority. They could pretty quickly tell you about some of these barriers, some of these things where they've been made to feel like, oh, I was a bit of an outsider. Some trivial, some, um, you know, more severe. In fact, I thought it'd be quite funny to list some. One of the big ones is uh, hospitality. Huge one. You invite someone, you know, in, in these sort of circles, middle class circles, ah, oh, you meet someone with great to have you over for a meal. What that means is, let's get a date in the diary for about three or four weeks' time. You turn up at 7.30 sharp, you're expected to maybe bring a bottle of wine or something. You come in, we have a meal, you stay for a couple of hours, and then you don't overstay your welcome, you know, and we might see you again in six months. And that's kind of, oh yeah, we caught up. That wasn't the way that hospitality was done for me growing up. People just turned up at your house. Someone says, oh, we should hang out. You think, oh, what are you doing this week? Can I, can, can you, is the door open? Can you just turn up? If you turn up, well, we've got. Oh, should we bring something? That whole kind of thing. That's what do you mean? Should we bring something? I am coming to yours. What, why am I going to bring something? <laughs> you know, if you do, I am mean, bring a few beers or something. That's fine. We we'll watch the football, but it's kind of. Oh, we will bring dessert. Okay, yeah, you bring a pudding. It's always kind of very formal. Everything sat around the table. Some people we never sat around the table growing up in my family. People come round. We just sit around the sofa. People get a tray out, eat a bit of dinner, have a chat, just be a part of life. It's very. It's even some of the way that we do things. Even the like, oh yeah, it'd be great to. Oh, I'd be great to hang out. Oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll chat, and then you come back. I said a date in four weeks' time. Well, four weeks' time. I know we're all busy. Don't get me wrong, but that, that's that's how we often do it. It's not the way that sometimes working class people have grown up doing hospitality. They're very foreign to them to think like that. I would say that when I first started getting involved with my church from a leadership capacity, I started leading the youth. 1920 got invited to the leaders meeting oh great i'm at the leaders meeting now turned up and it was cheese and wine oh, i felt very out of place <laughs> we didn't do cheese and wine I, I don't know what what do i do with the crackers do i just eat them dry I, all these different cheeses how much do i take you know if i take a big block people are gonna look at me a bit funny I, there's grapes and wine. Well, my grapes with the crackers i think I, I, we just didn't do that growing up in, in our side, we do leaders' men Get pizza in. Just keep it simple. Everyone likes pizza. You know, thing, because suddenly people just go and they feel that this is a, a culture environment that I'm just not used to. I, I feel like I'm an outsider. That's basically what's happening. I, I don't. I just don't feel comfortable because this environment that for most people this is very natural. A glass of wine. Yeah, we've done this. Think, I've never done this. It feels a bit weird. I just thought wine in church There's another matter and then, you know, but I mean even being serious that is another matter you know, people struggle with alcohol addiction you think, oh we're serving wines to the leaders it can be, you have to think about these things I'm not saying you can't serve wine in church but you have to think about these things at least give it some thought the other one was always uh, I turned up then I, I managed to join the staff team and let me do that and um, one of the things was um, I got invited we're going to the staff walk and then I, I went up and so many people wait you? Oh, you haven't got walking boots said, what have I got w- walking boots for <laughs> a pair of trainers People kept saying we're going on walks. I was like, where are you walking to? You know, it's not something we did growing up. You walk to the shops. You know, we're going on a walk. Where? Just around, you know, just out to the countryside, so go for a walk. There's sorts of practices that people, oh yeah, we're doing a church walk. Where to? So people have not, it's just an assumption, that, oh yeah, that's what families all do. They go for walks. It isn't true. <laughs> a very Christian thing, I think sometimes. A very middle-class Christian thing of that. And so when you say, so why don't you come on the walk? They're thinking, this is something I want to do. I'd rather go to the pub. I'd rather go for a beer or something, go and watch the football, or go and, go and do whatever it is. You've got, you've got to think about it. <laughs> Unless Arsenal are playing. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm a West Ham fan. I just like teasing John. Um, but it's very true. Sometimes we just can use illustrations that people don't understand. One of the great experiences, many of you know Andrew Wilson. He's joined our church. And it's been great having Andrew when he first came because he would say this himself. He wouldn't mind me saying this. He would preach and things like that. He's obviously Andrew, you know, Cambridge educated, all those sort of things. He would say things and you could just see it going over people's heads. You know, some of the illustrations about sailing and things. I'd be, oh, what are you going on about, Andrew? Uh, I mean, he's so humble, if you know Andrew, very gracious. And he would literally say, Oh, help me, you know. And, and it's not to say you can't use those illustrations because you can only use the, you know, if you grew up going sailing and you want to use it, it can be a great image. But what it is, is, is sometimes it's the assumption of, that everyone's gone sailing. You know, it's the assumption that everyone's gone on holiday. Keep talking about your holidays all the time. In, in, in where everyone's talking. Uh, I mean, that's another thing. Churches that close down for summer, because everyone goes away. Well, I don't. In fact, people from working class backgrounds that haven't got money, it's the time when they might need it the most. The church, but everyone else disappears on holiday, and they're all going away. We'll have a reduced schedule for the church, and no no, group, no meetings go on. You know, of meeting here and there because we're all on our holidays. No, we're not. The most vulnerable people in the community, I can guarantee you, are not abroad in the south of France or something like that. Almost must guarantee you that the church disappears. And so how do we serve the church in that environment? Just making assumptions that everyone lives a life well, we do, they don't, they don't. Referring to people who's being marginalised on the edge all the time, that just reinforces an idea. I mean, how do we re- refer to people? Even just tutting and rolling our eyes at, 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 at people, I always say church is family, we like to say, I think that's been one of the themes. And you think, well, well, sometimes people turn up to church, you know, there's always that sort of, Maybe they're a bit noisier than others. You get a look over the shoulder, someone giving them a look. God, I wish they'd get that kid out, you know. People feel those looks. They really do. But then we want to say church is family. My family gatherings aren't like that. Everyone's sitting in silence, taking notes. Was there an exam at the end? <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, uh, so, but, so, but some people they come in and everyone's going oh this is a family and their kid's being a bit noisy and people give them dirty looks oh if you could get the kid out they're thinking I thought this was family they clearly don't want my family in here we're a bit louder than others because they've, they've not been raised in churches uh, working middle class people are very used to learned settings maybe they've been to university maybe they've been to lectures they're very used to that kind of style of everyone's silent everyone listen. other people have not come from those sorts of backgrounds they can find a little awkward church for the first time and the last thing you want to do is put an obstacle by making them feel uncomfortable because their children are being a little noisy or a bit, and unruly. The thing you want to do is, oh, listen, we don't mind. Sometimes even when I'm preaching, I say that sometimes, the kids making noise. So I say, oh, we, don't, we don't mind, it's fine. You know, it won't distract me. But as a church, you've got to think, you know what, I'm just going to do this fine. I'm in fact going to go in and try and encourage him rather than give him a dirty look over the shoulder. Some of these are trivial, but some of them can be quite big. There can be obstacles, things that we put in the way to... Um, for people to feeling like they can be a part of this. And I always think, you know, what's more important than meeting people with the gospel? We want to try and remove everything we can. A, you think, I want to do everything I can. That's my view anyway. I want to do everything I can to make it easy for people to come to Jesus. So do you want to do. You think, if that's an obstacle, no, that doesn't need to be an obstacle. We don't need to hold on to that as a, as a precious thing. Sometimes these things that are, are values, it's not in scripture. Some of it is just a value that we've picked up over time. And so I was thinking, yeah, we have to, have to be careful on those. So that is, if you like, the, some of the obstacles. And I think it would be good to talk about the strategy. So what, what do we do? It's just to give you all of these things. You know, but one of the main things is contextualization. Again, Paul, you can tell he was passionate about it. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 9? A lot of people know this one. Go, go to verse. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. So those under the law, I became under the law, though myself not being under the law, that I may win those under the law. You know, Paul is saying that he basically, I made myself a slave to everyone. Paul was willing to limit his own rights and his own freedoms, his own personal preferences, his own choices, his own things that he would rather do in order to connect with someone, win people for the gospel of Jesus. That's a challenge. I mean, Jesus was the master of contextualization. Paul wanted to contextualise. Jesus was the master of it. He, he used illustrations and stories and, and, and did things that would connect with the people that he was around. And it's all the time. And so you think, Let's, you want know, to be those who contextualise. And so I thought, I'll just give you a few things that might help. Some of these are, are things that I've picked up and learned. Some of these are from other pastors and people that, uh, in fact, even within sort of our circles of churches, like Natalie Williams, who some of you may know, and Tom Ed at East End Church, and Paul Brown and, uh, down in um, City Hope Church, a few people, and others um, that I think might just help us with some contextualisation that basically uh, to, to help. One of this is it comes out of my own experience. When I joined the church, the staff team, I was made to... Uh, feel like I was uh, an outsider it was really weird people would talk about my accent a lot and I used to sometimes think hold on a minute I'm from round here and all of you church leaders they weren't he's from Bedford he's from um, you know uh, South Africa (laughs) this person there's a couple from Bedford this one's from Bishop Stalford they're like you know I always listen to try and make make comments about my South London accent I think our church is in South London no one outside of these walls talks about my accent None of my friends do, because that's how everybody sounds. But usually, I, I thought I'd, I'd expect it when I was at university. Not when I expected it, but not when I'm back in my home church. You can be made to feel like an outsider. But here's some things that I think might help us to understand some of the values of, of, of working class people. One of those is, is what I call the us and them. The solidarity is really important for people. Uh, and one of the defining parts of working class culture is identity. There is an us and them mentality. Right? Both sides have assumptions about the other. That is true whoever you are. There is a, an automatic suspicion of establishment and, and, and people in authority for those that I've found it in, in working class people. Institutions. Because often, I don't know what they've done for them, but whether it be schools, whether it be government, whether it be police, whether it be church. I for example, there was a working class lady in our church that, that started to come and she came and said, I love your preaching, you're one of us. So she said, you're just like my Charlie. That's her son. You're one of us. You're just like my Charlie. What do you mean one of us? There's there's an us mentality. Another would say, oh yeah, you're great. You're, You're down to earth. You're not high and mighty. That's because I am one of them. I live like one of them. We live in the same community. We shop in the same shops. We fought the same battles with the council. We identify common experiences and bonds that hold us together. That's why we always say it's so important to be embedded in your local community. We identify with that. There's dividing walls that have been been broken down. We've not come in as outside. I've not come in thinking we're better than. You know, we, we can build on that. I don't think I'm better than so-and-so because I own my home and they don't. Stupid. What does that mean? We, we can, when you start in the service like that, you know, of course I don't think that, but there can be a feeling of superiority that people feel, oh, They think they're probably better than us because they, they're, they're do-gooders and they go to church. Or or because they're a pastor. I would say one of the fascinating things we've got trying to reach uh, 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 even with me, our church is very diverse, you know, very. And, and white working class people would have absolutely, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean anything to them. But then we'd get people from African backgrounds that would have lots of respect for a title of a pastor. And so trying to hold the balance of that is, is quite fascinating because there's some that are like, just want to refer to me as pastor and other would never want to call me pastor, you know. Um, you're a pastor means I don't trust you. We, we, when we think we you know, there's a big us and them. We have to stand it. There'll probably be a natural suspicion about the church. I said earlier we can obviously preach preach to anyone. Of course we can, you know, um, but we, we can't always try and assume ourselves as outsiders coming in to fix everything. We got to get in amongst people and share lives together. That's what the scripture says it's not just we're the church. We want to come and fix all your problems. No, we want to do. We want to share life with you. We invite you into our homes. We'll let our kids play. I don't want them hanging hang out with their kids. They're a bit rough and ready. Might pick up bad habits. It can be a challenge. I'm a parent. That can be a challenge. You think, oh, I don't, I don't know. You know. How do you share lies with them then? You have to be prepared to, 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 to fight and wrestle with some of these things. Because when you become a Christian, I will say this. This is about race, about everything. When you become a Christian, it changes who our, us and them are. At us and them, it's no longer just him on the, you know, when you're out uh, on the outside world, people look at me, I will say this, they say, oh, uh, Joe is, you know, a 30 year old lad or whatever from South London. And there's uh, a Caribbean guy called Frank in our church, he's 93. And what I try to say to people that because we're in Christ, I have more in common with Frank in my church because we're in Christ together than I do with a non-Christian white 30 year old lad who lives next door. Because we've got Christ in common, we have everything in the world. They got nothing in common. He's a 93-year-old Jamaican who moved here in, you know, part of the Windrush generation. What have they got in common? Nothing. I said we got everything in common because the gospel changes who are us and them are. So it has the power to do. That's the first thing I'll say. Second thing is three of these: is values, trust, loyalty, and money. I just want to talk about these values: trust, loyalty, and money. Very quickly, trust um, is not by grace; it's by works. It takes a long time to earn. You know, you've got to be a man or a woman in your word. You say you're going to meet with someone, meet with them. You say you want to spend time with someone, spend time with them. You say you're going to get in touch with them, get in touch with them. Otherwise, I can't trust you. You said you're going to call me. You didn't even call me. You said you were going to have us round. You didn't have us round. You said you were going to support us. You didn't support us. If you're going to say something, do it. Jesus said it himself that ESBES. We have to come in amongst people, not above, to earn trust. We can't assume authority because of who we are. Welcome team advice. You want a welcome team? It's always a great one on that. Sometimes you, you welcome team. Someone meets someone and ah, you know, where are you from? What university did you go to? What have you been up to? What, 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 you know, where do you live? You know, people ask you twenty-one questions. What are you, the police? <laughs> I don't even know you. What are you asking me all these questions for? <laughs> You're being friendly, maybe. But one of the biggest questions is people. People sometimes say, "Ah, oh, you know." What do you do for work? That's a really silly question. One, why do you care? I mean so I don't care what they do for work. Two, well, they don't work, for a sudden they feel very awkward. I'm in between things. And suddenly they feel like, oh man, I should work. Best question I always think you ask people is what you been up to this week? That's license for anybody. Whether they work or they don't, whether they study or they don't, whether they're they're unemployed, what have you been up to this week? And they'll, they'll tell you, I've oh, just been indoors, oh, okay. What you been up? there's a much better question when you meet someone what have you been up to this week so there's that there's loyalty people expect loyalty to get through thick and thin but the big one is money attitudes to money I think this is one of the defining factors as we kind of come towards the end looking at class working class people can be just incredibly generous they'll give you their last 10 pound I mean, my sister's like that generosity of the generosity of working class people and attitudes to saving is surviving for now rather than saving for the future living in the moment so many middle class people I meet don't understand this because you'll meet I've had this conversation a million times with people in churches oh oh yeah I haven't really got any money what that means is their allocated money for spending on going out that month has been spent but they got thousands in savings I haven't got any money no you just spent your allocated budget for this month where I'm from if you haven't got any money means you're 500 quid overdrawn and you owe your sister 100 quid and and you're racking up debt that's what it means to be skin it can be insulting someone says I haven't got much money couldn't get away this year, things are a bit tight. Ah, poor you. <laughs> be careful how we talk about money. We can assume that, you know, we don't understand it. How we teach about money sometimes it cannot be a biblical value, it can be a middle class value. We have to be really careful of the way that we understand and teach about money. I'm going to go into that now. But, but the attitude around money can be vastly different between the classes. And the other thing is communication as we finish often I've heard people say to me, middle-class people are two-faced. Oh, wow. <laughs> they are, no, they're not. That's something I've heard. Of course, listen, middle-class people are no more two-faced than working-class people in, in that regard, but, or any sort of background. But what, what they really mean is that often people from working-class backgrounds are brutally honest. They say what they mean and they mean what they say. And they sort of beating around the bush nonsense. They are their heart on their sleeve. There's an example. We run a group on Wednesday nights uh, for those that would be, you know, uh, those on the outreach working class people, some of them are poor, some are homeless, and I, I go and preach there occasionally. One time I preached, preached the gospel my heart out. Sat down at one of the tables afterwards and said, oh, what do you think?" He said, "I wasn't listening." <laughs> I said, Cheers, mate. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really listening, mate. I said, "Ah, oh, fair enough." I gave it to him again in person. You know, I said, "Well, this is what I said." You'd never get that from. Of, well, you might, Some people are really honest sometimes, but, but often there's kind of a people say things in a much politer way. You don't offend people or be too harsh. Would would usually give things in a much more guarded and measured way. Choice of words being really careful, don't offend anybody. Sometimes that can be seen as fake. Just tell me what you really mean, because I know that that's not what you really mean. All this kind of oh yeah, I don't really mind. You know, just tell me what you mean. Working class people can be seen as brash. Often told they need to calm down come across as being aggressive, but, but often they're conflict-driven. It's the way they've been raised to resolve things. Let's just get to the head of the issue. There's a bloke in our church who, who one time um, he worked in the hospitality team and he was just getting the right hump with the way things are going and he said, oh, forget it, and walked out and slammed the door and walked off. And, oh, wow, people are like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you see what he did? It's fine, calm down. When chat with him. It's fine. He came back, apologised. What people would have rathered is he kept his call and then later on sent a really passive-aggressive email. That would, have been, that would have been better, you know. That would have been fine. Oh yeah, he's got a good point. That's not the way he expressed himself. In fact, both are the same because in the heart, the issue was the same. In the moment, the person's heart was the same. Whether they, whether they sort of walked out and slammed the door, whether in their heart they just thought, this person is really annoying. The heart was the same. But just the way you deal with situations can be different. And we have to know that. Communication is, is very different. And we have to have patience with people. And not kind of, oh no, they can't serve in that position. You think, it's fine. It's okay if someone kicks off a little bit. It's quite fun sometimes. All of these things is, 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 is to remember that, and so that we've got these strategies in terms of trying to understand the working class. But I guess as, as, as we come to a close, the, the heart of the issue for me, and, and the main thing I guess I would want to say is that we, the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus came to make us one in Christ. Whoever we are. Wherever we're from, he came that we would, he came to, it literally says in this, to tear down the walls of hostility, to reconcile us to himself and to one another. It's what Christ came to do. He came to, you know, as he says in, in Luke thirteen twenty nine. I love this passage, that people will come, it says, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and they will reconcile at the table of the kingdom of God. What a beautiful passion that is in fact as, as we go on in the moment and, and we get an opportunity to break bread together and i've said to do it after the preach which i know some of you are fasting she so probably that bit of bread was going to get you through i'm sorry about that you have to hold on but the whole point is there's an element of going no that's what every time we break bread is what we do we say we've all come i mean i look in this room here i can imagine people all sorts of different nations background we come to one table from the north east southwest we come and reconciled unto god to one table and that's what you want in the church. When you, if you look around and everyone looks like you and sounds like you and acts like you in your church, and you're satisfied, you've got a problem. You want to look around. And say, oh, there's loads of people that are completely and that makes church challenging. It's much easier if everyone was just the same. We all like the same sort of music. We all like the same style of prayer and the same style of sermon and the same style. Of, that keeps it really simple. But it's not what we're called to do. We're called to reach the nations. We're called to reach the people around us, and the people around us are not all the same. And we're called to try and, and Christ says, No, I've come to build a bride. There's one in Christ, there's one together with me. That's what I laid down my life for. There's nothing more important than that. And so there's a mandate on us, there's a, there's a passion on us. Jesus, we'll finish this, he says, When Jesus, don't you love it when he says, He looks on the crowds and He has compassion. See so, you now, some of the working class people in your area, you look and you think, Dude, we have com- do we have compassion? That's so what it says "Jesus, I have compassion and he wanted to make a difference. And each one of us here can make a difference. And you could look out to me today and you could say, Joe, there's so many poor people in this community. There's so many people like that in the community. What difference can I make? Does you know, reach that one person? Does that make a difference? It'll make a difference to them if they're brought into the family. God, wouldn't it? Make a real difference for them. And if we want... If you want a church that will reach the people, we have to be the ones to do it, don't we? We have to be the ones to do it. And So I'm going to pray. And In fact, as, as, as I'm praying, uh, in fact, the first thing I want to do actually, is just to pray, just feel, if you feel even as I'm speaking, you know you've got a passion and a burden. Maybe you're already working with the working class or the poor or those on the edge, or you know you've got a passion to do so, or you feel like, no, I'm just feeling an anointing on God. I want to do that. Can you just stand? I want, to, I want us just to pray for you. You can just stand just where you are. It won't be everybody, but there'll be some. And why don't, if, if you're comfortable and you're people in the church, why don't we just stand? And if you can, we'll just, we just lay a hand. I just want to particularly pray for these ones. We should start to do that. And so some of you may want to stand and just lay a hand on, 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 on somebody. I don't know how you do this in this church. In my mind, this is what we'll do. We'll just lay some hands on. And if you're around, just get your hands on and just and just pray. Just, just pray for an anointing, just pray that God will come and fill them, bless what they're already doing, maybe give them opportunities. Paul says, you know, pray for me that there'll be opportunities for the gospel. And so we're just, just going to pray, and I'm just going to pray for these ones. Lord, we thank you for your, uh, the power of the gospel. Lord, I thank you for each one, this passion that people have got. Eager, eager to remember the poor. Feel obliged to reach those on the edge. God, I pray will you pour out your spirit. I pray, will you strengthen and equip them for ministry, Lord, and for the gospel. God, I pray, will you help them? Well, we really we do. We want to pray for your anointing. Lord, we want to pray for this this measure of gift that you've already got. We pray, will you increase it? This burden that you've got, will you increase it? We want to pray for opportunities to open, Lord, at the school gates, Lord, uh, uh, with the neighbours, down the pub. The local sports to whatever it is or we just pray will you open up opportunities to continue to reach people compassion as you had you say come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit That on at the same time. The other thing I just feel stirred to pray for, and this this doesn't have to be a show of hands one, don't worry. Is but I think there, there, there'll be some who know that, that they've carried prejudice or they've carried, um, yeah, prejudice in many ways, and there's issues that they need to repent of. So it's this, this hasn't to be a show of hands one, but but. I just want to create an opportunity I think the team are going to lead you to breaking bread in the moment but before they do that I guess I just want to give an opportunity for people in their own heart to come and repent before the Lord maybe where they've um, haven't felt obliged maybe where they've they've known actually I've, I've, I've put loads of stumbling blocks in your way not necessarily in purpose but I know in my heart the way I've, I've felt it's a heart issue between you and the Lord and I just want to give it. I think there should just be just some space before I mean one of the in fact Paul instructs you before you, you, you come and take it to examine yourself